Hey guys, welcome back to another Friday solo episode of Time Freedom for Lawyers. Uh, I'm back from a weekend in Austin, Texas, running a 10K Spartan race with a group of friends of mine. Uh, and I'm reflecting on the power of staying in proximity with people who are doing bigger and better things than you are. And so that's what this week's episode is going to be about. Stay tuned. Welcome to Time Freedom for Lawyers, where the goal is to become less busy, make more money, and spend more time doing what you want instead of what you have to. Bringing together guests from all walks of life who are living a life of their own design and sharing actionable tips for how you too can live the life of your dreams. Now, here's your host, Brian Glass. Hey guys, thanks for sticking with us through the intro music or skipping through the intro music if you're like me. One quick ask before we get started. This podcast is growing at a nice clip, about 10% month over month growth. And the only way that it grows is when people like you share this with somebody who is a friend of theirs. And so if you've got somebody in mind who you think would benefit from hearing my voice, from hearing the people that we interview on this show, I would love it if you'd share it with them. Don't spam them. Just send them one episode. If I don't earn some listenership after one episode, that's on me. Thanks, guys. All right. So here's the story of this weekend. So I was down in Austin, Texas, running a Spartan 10K with a group of entrepreneurial men. And this is something you've probably heard me talk about before. I I started racing on this GoBundance Spartan race team about a year ago. This weekend was my fourth race. And every time I come back from one of these races, I'm like fired up to go and work on my business and work on my family. And it is 100% due to the group of men that hang out at these races. It really has very little to do with the race and much more to do with the crowd of guys that you get to hang out with for a 48-hour period in an Airbnb. If you're not familiar with a Spartan race, Spartan runs a, a number of events, but the most common are these 5, 10, and 20K obstacle courses. And they're all mud runs. And really, they all have the same set of obstacles. But what I love about Spartan is that every weekend is a little bit different because of the way that they set up the course. For example, when I was out in Los Angeles, there was a ton of hills and it was super dry. And every time you came down a hill, you were getting sand in your shoe. Contrast that with this 20K that we ran in Jersey last year on the side of a ski slope. Super wet, rocks everywhere, really hard to run downhill, fairly easy to hike the uphills though. Contrast that with Florida last December, like pancake flat, actually one of the hardest races that I've done to date because it was pancake flat and because there's no big hills to take a walk break on. And so even though it is really the same set of obstacles, the same set of 25 to 30 obstacles, they're just set up in a slightly different configuration depending on the course. And this race in Texas was a proper hard 10K. They had backloaded all of the heavy carries, so the 100-pound Atlas Stone carry, the 60-pound sandbag carry, which felt like it was more like 80 pounds because it had rained overnight and the bags were all wet. All of that stuff was at the end of these slogs of sometimes knee-deep, sometimes waist-deep water. It looked like they, they had created some of them, but just naturally they'd run the course through these creek beds. So that was pretty cool. Your legs are tired and then you hit all this heavy stuff at the end of the race. So that makes it just a different kind of a challenge. The other thing they do that's really challenging is they put you through the water almost immediately preceding 
all of the stuff where you actually need grip. The stuff where it's important that your shoes be dry, they put you through water immediately before that. Stuff where it's important where your hands are dry and you can climb a rope or do a pull-up or something like that, they put you through water where you've probably gotten your hands a little bit wet. So this is just a really well-constructed course and it made it really hard. So hard, apparently, that I've just left the script entirely of what this show was actually supposed to be about, which is the tribe. So Saturday after the race, we're sitting around trying to arrange drives back to the airport, and I had a noon flight. A bunch of guys had later flights, and I said, hey, can you drop us off at this guy's house? We want to use his cryo chamber. And I'm like, well, let me see if I can move my flight. I would actually love to go and hang out with somebody who's got a cryo chamber, not necessarily because I'm interested in like the medicine or what that can do for you, but... Anybody who's got one of those in his house is somebody who I want to spend a couple of hours learning from and interacting with. And so we did that, went over to a local member's house, hopped in his cryo chamber, cranked that bad boy down to negative 230 degrees. I ended up with a little bit of freezer burn on my elbows, but I got some interesting stories. And and I want to share with you some of the takeaways from the weekend and from our mastermind sessions both Friday night and then Saturday after the race. So some of the things that I picked up with over the weekend and that I've left with are this. It really matters who you hang out with and who you spend time with. This is an old Jim Rohn principle that you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. And if you just think through your like Rolodex of your friends who you hang out with a lot, you're probably right in the middle of that group of friends, like weight and fitness wise, how much you earned last year, what your net worth is, happiness in your marriage, happiness with your kids. If you're hanging out with a bunch of single people, you're probably single. If you have kids, you probably stopped hanging out with all your single friends. It's not good. It's not bad. It just happens. But it's really important that you be intentional about setting up your group of peers to emulate who you want to become. So one of the things that we were talking about as we were sitting around the campfire Friday night is the importance especially as you hit rocky patches in your marriage or in your relationship of making sure that the group of friends that you're hanging out with includes other couples who are doing well and having a great relationship and have a great relationship with their kids and are involved in their kids stuff. It's a total left turn from entrepreneurship and from really the things that I talk about for the most part on this podcast. But I think it's just critically important because that concept that you're the average of the five people, it's much more than money, right? It's happiness, it's relationship with your spouse, it's relationship with your kids. It's really important to be intentional about not spending time with people whose life you don't emulate. Doesn't mean you have to cut these people who may be longtime friends, they may be family members of yours out of your life, but it means you have to dial back the amount of time that you spend with them if you want to end up on a different trajectory than the one that you're on right now. And actually, I had a mom say this to me the other night at soccer practice. So I coach my 10-year-old's team and, and we're talking about plans for the fall. And she says, oh, we took our son and tried him out for travel and he's going to do travel next year. Not really because I think he's an incredible player or because I think he's going to play in high school or college. In fact, she has no illusions that he's going to do that. He may. He's a good athlete. But what she said is it frustrates me and it frustrates him that we come to these practices and a third of the kids to a half of the kids on the team, depending on the night, aren't paying any attention and they're just screwing around. And And as the coach, I think I have to take some responsibility for that. But there's only so many times that I can explain a drill to a player who's not listening before I've got to focus my attention on the kids who are. And so that got me to thinking as I'm at my eight-year-old's baseball game the other night and 
some of his teammates are throwing their hats around in the infield, throwing their gloves around in the infield while a batter is at the plate. He's above average on the team. He would be below average on a travel team. But maybe that investment is worth it just to get him around kids who are taking this shit more seriously. And if we're being intentional about our own lives and and saying, I need to get around people who are taking their shit more seriously, why aren't we doing it for our kids also? So that's just the thought that I had as as I was sitting down to sketch out what I thought this podcast was going to be about. It's like, how can we create a leveled up environment both for ourselves and for our kids? Another thing that I took away from this weekend is as you get into these groups, like people speak the same language and they read the same books and listen to the same podcasts. And one of the things that came up again and again as we were talking about how to level up your business and how to level up your financial life is Dan Sullivan and Ben Hardy's books. They're just quoted over and over in this group. So at different points, we discussed the book, Who Not How. And the lesson in that book is that you can't do everything in your business. And at some point, you've got to learn how to hire people, not so that you can teach them how to do what you do, but like, how can you go out and find the person who can solve the problem? And you don't ever have to learn the solution. You don't ever have to work on the solution. How can you free yourself up to focus on your, uh, I think Dan Sullivan calls it like your unique ability without having to think about all the little things. The book, The Gap and the Gain came up again and again. And I've just recently reread that. And I, the first time that I read it, what I took away was you will be happier if you measure backwards and look at where you, how far you've come instead of looking forwards and looking to where you want to go. And the second time I read it, I, I came away with just a slightly different twist on that, which is unhappiness comes not from measuring where we're going to, but measuring against some perfect ideal that we've set up in our head that we've never reached that we don't know if it's going to make us happy or not. Happiness comes from measuring against where we used to be. Again, not necessarily financially, not like year over year revenue, net worth, but when you look back and you say, okay, at one point I didn't have this skill set or I couldn't talk to people like that or I couldn't sell or, or whatever it is. And then you recognize how far you've come. Like just the reflection back on that is where our happiness comes from. And so Dan Sullivan and Ben Hardy recommend at the end of the day, write down three wins so that when you are having a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, you've got now this journal where you can go and look at, okay, over the last 30 days, here were my 90 wins. It's easy to forget that stuff when you're in the trenches, but if you make a good practice of recording those things, then you'll have something to reflect back on. And that's really where happiness and satisfaction comes from. And then the most recent book that everybody's talking about and that I just finished today is 10X is Easier Than 2X, which is a really interesting book about the 80-20 principle and how if your target from today is simply 2x, that's going to be really hard because at 2x, you are still thinking about how can I do twice as much work? How can I make twice as much money? How can I take twice as much time off? But at 10x, you can't. Like You can't work 10x as hard, right? And so we've got to be thinking about how can I focus on the 20% of things that I'm doing that make me the 80% of the money and hire out or associate out all of the rest of the tasks in the portfolio of things that need to be done. And the analogy that he uses over and over in the book is the Statue of David. I think everybody's heard the Michelangelo carving the Statue of David. They say, oh, how did you do that? He says, oh, it was always there. I just chiseled away the unnecessary stuff. And so Ben Hardy is saying, really, like your 10x ability is within you. You need to stop doing the 80% of the things that are slowing you down and preventing you from getting there. Another thing that I took away from this weekend is this concept of like always be testing. So 
we had this interesting discussion about how long do you want to live? And some of the numbers that people were throwing out were like 150, 120 years old, which I think is crazy. I don't necessarily want to live to be 200. But these guys are always testing, okay, if I was going to be able to live to 150 or 200, what would I have to do to get there? And shout out to my friend Len Spada for recommending Peter Atia's book, Outlive, which kind of gives you the guidepost for where you need to get by age 50 to be physically independent at age 80 and 100 and beyond. And so a lot of the guys in this group are wearing all kinds of fitness trackers from aura rings to a whoop to a continuous glucose monitor. And they're regularly testing their blood, not for abnormalities, not for diseases, but for optimization. And so that's another concept that comes out of Peter Atiyah's Outlive. Like modern medicine, what he calls medicine 2.0 is about identifying you when you've fallen below a baseline and then fixing you. Medicine 3.0, as he calls it, is about optimizing you well in advance of that and not saying, okay, if your blood sugar is at 129, you're okay, but at 131, you have a problem. At 129, you also have a problem. You're on your way to 131. And so how can we figure out what your optimal blood sugar level is and bring you back down to that? And the interesting thing about all of these biotrackers is they are really for optimizing the last 5 or 10%, right? If you aren't getting the nutrition and the exercise and, and the sleep that comprises the 90% of the things that make up whether you're fat or thin, in shape or out of shape, healthy or unhealthy, then the last 10% doesn't matter. So you've got to get all that stuff correct first. The biotrackers, they help with that. There's some really, some of the guys are talking about really high-end stuff like blue methylene, heat shock proteins, cold shock proteins, like activating all that stuff. That's really high level, but you've got to dial in the the 80, 90% first. And I think that's really like a life hack. Stop spending time thinking about get rich quick schemes or six minute abs because they don't exist. The the way to success is to slowly build momentum. And then along the way, like you pick up the things that accelerate you down that path. But if you don't have a solid base, accelerant is just as likely to blow you up as it is to speed you up. It's like investing in crypto with leverage, right? Okay. You can dollar cost average or you can over lever yourself. You can trade on margin. And if you're trading crypto on margin, which is already an accelerant, now you're adding another accelerant in it. Like it can mess you up really fast if you're not very careful. And so just understanding what the 90% is and getting the 90% correct before we move on to testing the things on the margins. And I'll close with this. This is my favorite quote from the weekend from the guy who owns the, the cryo machine sitting around talking and he's going over his vision board with us. And on his vision board, he's got this mansion in Hawaii. And his comment was that he needed to add another zero to his net worth before he could afford that, which that's interesting to think about. And then he's got a jet and and he's very close to buying the jet. And what he says is, I figure if I can buy the jet, then I save a million dollars in income tax. And if I just don't pay that million dollars in income tax and I deploy that money somewhere else and I only earn 10% on that money, then I've accumulated $100,000 a year that defrays the cost of the plane. And that to me is just worth pausing on because have you ever been in a room where somebody talks like that and it isn't either a flex or a pipe dream? Like it's not a problem that I have. I don't have $3 million in income that I need to be able to deduct somehow so that I reduce my tax liability by a million dollars. I'm not even sure it's a problem that I'd like to have. I don't mind flying. I, I don't like 
necessarily flying in economy. It would be a little bit more convenient to me to be able to skip the lounge altogether and just hop on the plane to have a private jet, but I don't really travel enough to need a jet. But this is just an entirely different way of thinking and approaching the problems than most people have. Most people think about how can I pull a lever and increase the amount of money that I earn? How can I pull a lever and decrease the amount of money that I spend? Many people, especially in a W-2 mindset when there aren't that many levers to pull, don't think about the tax lever. And so like just thinking about what if I didn't have to pay this over here and then I could turn what would otherwise be a liability, the plane, into an asset by taking my savings and deploying it into an asset. It's just interesting to me to be around people on a consistent basis who think like that. If this resonates with you at all, and you're interested in spending more time with other lawyers who are big thinkers, other lawyers who are working on being better lawyers, better business owners, better husbands, wives, family members, parents, there's two ways to change this. Number one, you could find yourself a whole new circle of friends. You can go hang out at the courthouse. You can vet people. You can look at resumes, I guess. You can look at balance sheets. And you could try to cultivate your own platform and program of people who would be interesting for you to hang out with and learn from. The other way is to buy in. And I'll tell you, it's much faster and it's much easier if you buy into a group where this already exists. And so if you aren't regularly spending time having your limits pushed by people who think bigger than you, then I've got an invitation for you. If you like what we talk about on this podcast, which is not just the marketing and the practice building and the wealth building, but the philosophy really of living your best life, then you should know that my dad and I have built a tribe of like-minded lawyers who are living lives of their own designs and creating tremendous value for the world within the structure of the legal practice. It's not something you hear about in law school. It's not something you're going to get from a CLE. It's certainly not something that traditional bar ever talks about. And so I want to invite you to join us at the only membership organization for entrepreneurial lawyers that's actually run by two practicing lawyers. If that's interesting to you, check us out at greatlegalmarketing.com and have a great Memorial Day weekend, guys.